And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. It's quite a lovely Jackson Pollock, isn't it? Yes, it is. What does it say to you? It restates the negativeness of the universe, the hideous, lonely emptiness of existence, nothingness, the predicament of man forced to live in a barren, godless eternity like a tiny flame flickering in an immense void with nothing but waste, horror and degradation forming a useless, bleak, straitjacket in a black, absurd cosmos. What are you doing Saturday night? Committing suicide. What about Friday night? Podcast. I'm Tom Cornell. And I'm Langley West. Episode 161. One. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. We're getting there. We're getting there. Um, today we have a guest. Uh, this guy is a long time friend. I've seen him in cons forever. Uh, his, his art's been in, on, in comics and Magic the Gathering cards. It's a beautiful sort of different take on the medium, I think, because uh, a lot of, I think, what he does is involving watercolors and that kind of thing, um, as opposed to, like, the harsh lines of, of a comic artist. Right. Um, it's beautiful stuff. Yeah. Uh, Gorgeous. Please, please welcome Ken Meyer, Jr. Yay. Yay. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, Thank you. That was the intro. They, uh, uh, I'm interested, we always start at the beginning, because I, I, I don't know, I'm always, I see a correlation between the artists now and the bedrock that they came from so um i want to know first out of the box what kind of kid were you what where were did you grow up and were you one of those always had a pencil in his hand um well as far as what kind of kid i was i was pretty quiet and shy and uh it was partly due to us moving around an awful lot. <clears throat> My dad was in the Air Force, so we lived like maybe the longest place in any one, longest time in any one place might be a year and a half or oh. something like that. <clears throat> so I went to an awful lot of schools and and that either I either makes that way. yeah I think it either makes you really outgoing or really quiet and I was the latter. Just so <clears throat> the perpetual new kid. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, so, uh, I, I got into drawing because of, of comics. I read a lot of, I read, I read comics pretty much most of my life and started, oh, I would assume like maybe when I was maybe seven, eight, nine, something like that. And that's way back in, uh, uh I guess the mid sixties. So I would, Initially, I would put carbon paper under a comic and trace it on the other paper. And then I would put the paper beside the comic and try and draw what was in it. And then eventually I would draw my own characters. And then it went on from there. 
I, I, this has nothing to do with art, but it, but I'm I'm interested because uh, we moved around a lot as well, and there was a period of time where I started. I, I kind of was able to look at it and go, I can be whoever I want at this new school. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna be here for six months or a year or whatever. And so there was one year where I went to five different schools, and I was a different. I took on a different persona <laughs> in, in each school. Did you ever go through anything like that? No, I didn't have the brain power to figure that out. <laughs> I, I just basically, you know, got by by the seat of, seat of my pants or whatever. <clears throat> I see the idea of like I'm not going to be here long, so I'm just going to skid in and yeah. skid out and and not make too much noise. It, I was because I was quiet, but then you know. I got to places where I'm like, I can be a dick if I want, you know. Hey. Yeah. So I Girl tried it a bad boy. Times. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you go to art school? Um, I didn't actually go to art school <clears throat> until about 2004 okay. when I went <clears throat> back to school to finish my bachelor's and to get a master's. So I mean, I went to college out of high school like most people. But it was just a regular small college in Utah where we were living at the time. And uh, <clears throat> I wasn't a very good student, so I didn't really learn that much. And I never really graduated. So it wasn't until way later after basically learning on the job, learning what I would end up doing as I was doing it. And then I went back to school, and that helped in some ways. Hmm. Ken, who were who were some of your, um, for lack of a better word, heroes when it came to art? Um, well, initially, since I was you know reading comics so much, it was comic artists. And although I think I I know that I liked Jack Kirby, but I didn't appreciate him. Uh, like I would later. Like I think when you're younger, a lot of times the artists who might be seen as uh, more simple, for lack of a better word, like uh, like Ditko or Kirby or, or even uh, Toth, some of those guys, you, you don't appreciate until you're old enough to realize what goes into that. Right. But having said that, I remember, I, I would say in my teens, in high school, uh, the people that I would appreciate the most would be people like uh, Craig Russell and um, Barry Smith and all the guys, the guys in the studio and Ryson, who I see on your your icon here. Yeah. Uh, uh, people like that. And then a little bit later in comics, when I started reading, and also Corbin, because I also some was able to get my hands on some undergrads, so I had to keep them away from my parents away from my mom, but um, later, when independent comics started being produced, it was more uh, people like Steve Rude and Dave Sim and Howard Chaikin um, uh, and Jaime Hernandez. Those guys were the ones that I really appreciated. And about the same time, I had started, I don't know exactly what got me into it, but um, I think it was Actually, it was probably uh, around the time of going to college the first time, I was starting to appreciate mainstream illustration. It was probably because it was on the cover of magazines like TV Guide and Sports Illustrated and stuff. Uh, 
and people like Bob Peake and uh, Bernie Fuchs and Jim Sharp, um, yeah. Kazuhiko Sano, um, a lot of the pre that you know the usual suspects. Um, because I was also getting the New York Illustrator's annual or looking at it in the library. So uh, it was sort of a twin influences of the, the comic people and uh, the mainstream illustrators. Wow. Isn't it funny how when we're kids, we look at, um, we look at artists who, like you say, their, their work is, uh, for lack of a better word, simpler. Like, when I was a kid, I hated Jack Kirby's square fingers. Uh-huh. Yeah. It would drive me nuts, right? And now I love it. Um, and uh, the same thing with Alex Toth. I, I'd be like, I hate this. You know, I hate this artwork. Now. It's too much black. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, go ahead. Sidebar, uh, Howard Chicken's Black Kiss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That guy, jeez. Um, um, yeah, and American Flag was was one of those titles that I really, really loved, and it was almost as much for the lettering uh, yeah. as it was for the artwork. Well, it was right in with all that the alternative stuff, like you mentioned, Steve Root and Nexus, and and yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, speaking of this, this is just an odd thought. Dave Sim, like you never hear about Dave Sim anymore. Well, I mean. But really, when you think about it, I don't think anyone has achieved what he achieved with Cerebus, if only for sticking with it yeah. for 25 years. Yeah, the <laughs> volume mean, of work is it's amazing. That's unparalleled, yeah. We're I talking think. about Cerebus, the art Yeah, mark. Cerebus, the art mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and he was one of those guys about the same time as, uh, I think, Chaikin, um, who I was really appreciating for the layouts because he had some really inventive layouts in service um, and uh, I was trying to sort of copy it to some degree in some of the few comics that I was doing um, and uh, uh, it was really fun to read especially like the first I guess say 50 issues or so um, those are my my, fav- my favorite period you know like a lot of people when it was funny that's yeah. what I like yeah 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 <laughs> Well, I mean, just the 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 depth, maybe not the breadth of imagination, but the depth of imagination sure. to say we're going to take this guy. You know, it's like Robert E. Howard with Conan. Right. Know, it's like, we're going to take this guy through this this arc. It's, yeah. Um, over the span of years, you know, um, it's amazing. Uh, one thing that uh, one thing that I like to ask artists whenever we have artists on the show is uh, we talk a lot of, about a lot of firsts, mm-hmm. and um, one of the things that we often ask people is who was who was the first person who we call it giving permission who 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 gave you permission to keep doing this who was the first person that you can remember that gave you praise and said hey you're you're good. You know, you're good at this. This thing that you're doing, this uh, drawing. Well, I'll tell you one thing is it, it, probably way too early to have anything to do with the art that I would do later. But I remember <clears throat> there's a picture. I don't know how it got taken, but there's a picture of me sitting at a little uh, uh, drawing easel when I was probably about seven or six. And it was in a newspaper for whatever reason. They probably did an article on some school or something. And 
um, I don't know if it's connected to what I'm going to say, but uh, someone told me that when I was young and I was drawing a lot, the teacher said I would never be an artist because I didn't put feet on my people. Um, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that my, my grandmother probably said, don't worry about that, because uh, about that time, I think we were living in Minnesota, uh, right down the street from my grandparents, and we would be over there all the time um, because she made really good eclairs, for one thing. But, uh, you know, typical, really cool grandmother. Um, so it might have been her. Cool. Right on. right on. I'm curious then, so how do you make the transition from guy who draws and, and digs it to guy who draws and gets paid for it? Well, <clears throat> when I was in college the first time, um, I had uh, several work-study jobs um, because I was getting uh, some grants and, and some loans for school. And uh, <clears throat> one of them, I remember, was working in the publications department. So I would do, like, little tiny flyers and various things like that. So technically, um, I was getting paid for, for doing that. Um, and there were a lot of jobs after that. But that... I think that might have been the first time I can remember. I mean, there might have been some times in high school when I did one thing here or there for something, but I, I can't remember. So uh, that college experience is probably the first time I can really remember doing it with any regularity as sort of a job. Mm -hmm. How great is that, though? Yeah. Sometimes someone hands you money? Yeah, yeah buddy. absolutely. If that, that's another person giving you permission. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, there's a hundred, two hundred pieces of permission right, right, exactly, right there. Right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. So I, I'm curious, as your style is so like individual and unique, and I'm curious, how do you gravitate towards, for example, the intricate line work? You mentioned um, uh, uh, Barry Windsor Smith and Wrightson and that kind of stuff. At being a fan of that stuff, so how do you gravitate from there to this almost ethereal look that you get in, in a lot of your pieces? I ran yeah, well, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I think uh, <clears throat> um, I think if you talk to uh, a fair amount of artists and you uh, try and maybe nail down their style or ask them to nail down their style, I think a lot of them will say, well, I don't know if I really have a style because... You know, you don't usually aim for a specific look to be your style. You just sort of eventually end up there. And I think I just eventually ended up there. And I'm sure part of it is due to all those influences uh, that I talked about and many more that, that I haven't. Um, and I think it was just by trial and error. I mean, uh, I don't know if I was necessarily trying to to look like anyone all the time. I did several pieces that I wanted to sort of look like a specific artist because I really like that artist or I was trying to learn something. Sure. Uh, but I didn't try and end up at a style that was like anyone else. Um, even though there are several artists, I'd be very happy to look just like them. <laughs> but um, it just sort of, I guess, happened naturally. And I think I've heard a lot of People, uh, when they, uh, like if they, if you see quotes from uh, art professors or teachers or something, I think a lot of them say, you know, don't worry about getting a style. Don't search for a style. Just keep 
working and you'll just arrive at that style. And if, the funny thing is too is, like I said, I don't know, if, I don't really see myself as having a style. I actually worry sometimes that I have no style, but people, some people have told me that I do. It's the only thing that I, like when I'm painting and a lot of the various pieces that I do for games and stuff, I do know that I, I like organic things. For example, I like doing people and, and organic substances. I'm not so good at architecture or hard science fiction or anything like that. But I definitely have always liked um, dramatic lighting. And that's really the only reason that I ended up doing a lot of stuff that Tom would know really well for companies like White Wolf Games. It's not that I necessarily had a real thing for vampires and, and macabre and everything. It's just that that lighting really only translates uh, as far as genres go to say horror and, and film noir, you know? Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing a lot of horror stuff mainly because I really like that lighting. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that brings up the question, uh, you know, um, painting is a, is a, a visual medium. Um, were you were you a fan as a kid or even now um, of you mentioned film noir and, and uh, uh, the lighting and things that are that are going on there? Were you a fan of those genres of films? Do you, do you no, do you not really. No, I mean, I mean, I, when I was younger, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what film noir was. Um, uh, obviously, everyone knows what horror is almost from the time you're probably six years old. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I didn't even really search out films, books, television, movies, whatever, in those genres. Um, it just happens that that sort of play of light and shadow that I like ends up being in that genre a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, one of the things I love is that you do... Um Facebook live like sessions of, of as you work on things. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, do you ever worry about that? It, how do I put this? Uh, like being a peek behind the curtain, the the magic. Of no, it's the up. opposite. It's the total opposite. Huh. Um, I've always, I've always sort of disliked the word talent because when some people use it, even if they even if they mean well, the veiled meaning to me is that it means you don't work at what you do. It means that you're born with it. It's easy. I can't do it because I don't have talent. Well, obviously, some people are better than others. Some people have some extra little something. I mean, someone like Bernie Wrightson is going to be a lot better than me if I labor it pen and ink for the rest of my life because he has a little something extra. Um, but... I, I try and make people believe that anyone can be an artist, at least as far as learning the craft, various elements of craft, and then you can decide or you can work long enough to see if, if you have some uh, predilection for any specific medium or style or whatever. Uh, but I like people to see what's going on so that hopefully they can see that it's not some sort of magic and it's not some unattainable thing um, but it does take a lot of practice and a lot of work 
to get to any given stage of... of well, it's, uh, it's the 10,000 hours, right? Yeah, I had a professor uh, when I was at SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, the school I went to to finish my degree. Um, uh, Paul Hudson was his name. And he was a really cool guy and had a lot of interesting experience for working with a lot of crazy people. Uh, and he was really, really good in a lot of things. And he just said, you know, the only reason I'm here and you're there is because I've already done 5,000 really crappy drawings. Yeah. You haven't done that yet. So once you do all that, you know, you learn a lot of things along the way and you you become better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've gotten in, in heated arguments with people about this whole being born right your your god given gift and i'm like fuck you i i hey, i thought i wasn't allowed to curse I, oh yeah you're oh, oh yeah, yeah you can totally curse uh because i worked my ass off you uh-huh. know to be able to 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 do what i do as an artist yeah and it, and it and it angered me you know when they would, because they you know they'd be like you know no obviously you and i I fully acknowledge that you might be born with, um, you know, the whole right brain versus the left brain thing, right? Mm-hmm. And you may be inclined more to this or that, but it still comes down to it's a skill, and you have to learn how to, mm-hmm. you know, and and yeah, so, I mean, you know, there are probably lots of people who start off with some uh, acknowledged by something skill but they'll work at it and it goes away and they give it up mm-hmm. right exactly yeah i think that we we are beings that we respond to positive positivity so right. so yeah. if, if in our being a kid we draw something and someone's there to be to be supportive of that right we flow in that direction exactly all it takes is that one art teacher that says you you're, you're never going to be any good because you can't draw someone's exactly. leg exactly to make you go yeah art ain't my thing someone once told me art ain't my or, thing or if you're or, or if you're the uh, of the right personality mm-hmm. that's it the drives person you through yeah, it. you're like yeah, fuck yeah, you yeah. Fuck I'm gonna you. be the best fuck damn you, artist grandma. ever so, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I have a feeling there probably aren't many like 8 or 9 or 10 year olds that have that that's, fuck you attitude you know because I think when you're that age you want to please the adults right. you want to get praise from the adults the adults that you like, so that praise is really important. That's right. true. Right, 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 right. So here's a question I have for both of you, since you guys are both artists, and I, and I always r- wrestle with it in my own shit. When are you done? When you look at a piece and go, <laughs> I'm done. I think if I do anything else, I'm going to fuck it up, so I need to back away. And then is it always something in the back of your brain where you're like, you know, you should have kept that in your... I do it with the books of mine where I go, you should have kept that in your hands another month. Yeah. But uh, so respond to that, please. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. You, okay. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, um, I don't always know when something's done, especially with abstract stuff, because I consider myself a real novice when it comes to abstract stuff. But I've been having fun with various things lately. So... That's something I definitely sometimes do something and say I, I shouldn't have gone any further. But usually the uh, representational stuff, I've done it long enough that I, I know when I'm done. Uh, the only thing I wrestle with sometimes is I, I do like some people's work 
who that looks loose, like say David Mack right now, yeah, um, and Sienkiewicz, people like that. Who the Shiflets were just talking about that, about taking a piece to where it's done and then backing off a step, yeah, where it still has that rough sort of. Well, yeah, I mean that was that was, you know. The, that whole conversation about Frazetta versus Vallejo. Right, right, right. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's I'm an sorry. easy reference. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Um, well, that, that pretty much sums it up, and it's, it's funny that uh, the Shiflets would say that, because um, not being a sculptor, I guess I, I, I would think that it's easier to know when you're done, although I guess it would depend on your, your style, just like yeah. You know, you, you 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 know reference Vallejo and Frazetta. Frazetta had so many paintings, a ton of them, where the background is barely rendered. But because uh, you know it's it obvi- it's obviously back in the shadows, it's mysterious and whatever. It looks right. It looks good. It looks. But mainly, it looks like it was made by human hands. Where that's the one thing about a lot of digital art that leaves some people a little cold is um, when you're working really hard towards uh, like photorealism in the digital world, I, I feel like it's harder to have a personality. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people at Magic the Gathering tournaments um, and they'll talk about the artwork in the beginning of the game where it was a lot obviously traditional stuff because in the early 90s uh, versus now where an awful lot of it now is digital. And I like a ton of digital art and digital artists, but and maybe it's just because I'm not a digital artist. It seems like it's harder to develop a real personality. Some people do it, like Justin Sweet does it really well. Right. Um, but uh, I can't remember what the question was. But <laughs> that's how about being done. That's how I'm gonna end. <laughs> you know, sidebar in that abstract art. You know who do, who does a lot of abstract art? Who? John Amplis. Oh, yeah, really? He does, he, do, he does painting. Well, when he comes on to talk gonna, about crime yeah. films, we're going to talk to him about his abstract art. Go ahead, but, you. Uh, for me, it depends on whether or not it's a whether or not it's a commercial gig, uh-huh. or if it's something that I'm working on because I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's a commercial gig, I'm done when the deadlines. <laughs> and when they when sign off done. on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. and uh, I get that. I may not feel like it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, well, plus those guys are coming to you because you have a you have probably a specific style that they know, so they they know what to expect, and so you know you need to give them that. I would think to some degree. Sure. And the commercial accounts they've been signing off on it along the way. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, but the stuff on your own. Yeah, well, but the stuff on my own, um, when for me, it's not so much about what's going on on the paper. Uh-huh. It's it's more about. Um, am I tired of this? <laughs> if I'm tired of this, uh-huh. if it's like, I I like I know I could do more stuff to it. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should. Mm-hmm. But if I'm tired of it, it's time to move on. Yeah, and you know, at least step away. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's you know that's actually that's really that's important uh, because there's a lot of times where I'll work on something and uh, I. It's like what I've heard writers do too. It's like I'm working on this, and I need to I need to put it in the drawer for a while. 
and then yeah. and then you go away and you come back and you look at it and you're looking at it with fresh eyes. I agree. Well, yeah, and a lot of times you're doing stuff like that and you come back to it and if you're doing figurative work, you might see, oh man, those eyes are really bad or something that you don't see mm-hmm. when you're really like you're too in love. Well, yeah, what well, you're just so uh, worried about the details and you're looking at all these. You know, you're looking at the piece as a whole or whatever, but you don't necessarily see. You don't, you don't see that something's wonky. You have to step back and come yeah, back later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, you know, I'll be honest. It's from late. Lately, I assign three three edits, a beta, one more edit, right. and we're done. Clive once, Clive Barker once said to me, he goes, "At some point, you've got to let it go, right? And think to yourself, that is the best I could do at that moment." Because we have talked about this before. We both know people who have worked on a project. I, myself, I've been working on a project for Four over years. 12 yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. And, and it'll never get done. It's real easy, especially in, in narrative, to go, it's too easy to fuck this up, so I'm either going to dwell on it forever, or I'm just going to, like I say, just go... Here you go, and then you move on and you use your energies towards whatever the next idea right. is, and right. you hope. But in the end, you know, um, you, uh, you can hold on to something too long. You hope that you can keep falling in love with yeah the the, the next thing. <laughs> That's funny. You know? Do you want to like get married with this one idea <laughs> exactly. and spend thirty years yeah, yeah, with yeah. it, or do you want to you know? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, it's it's harder, but for for me, I look at all of it, and I we were talking about sculpture and painting and this kind of thing. Right. Sculpture seems so handsy, and well, of course it is, but, <laughs> but um, like it's so. I sculpt with my tongue. <laughs> with uh, with uh, like it's it's sensual, it's tactile, it's 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 different than the objectivity of creating. I think something on paper. Uh-huh. And it's it's hard. I mean, I. When I went back to school, I had a couple classes that uh, either dealt with sculpture only or sculpture to enhance whatever other thing you were doing in that class. And it was, at least to me, it was definitely hard to, uh, say, uh, sculpt a figure in clay and have it work from every angle. Um, It it was a, a different way of thinking and obviously really helps you in actually drawing um, seeing stuff and working at stuff in a three-dimensional aspect. It's funny. I, I, uh, I, I'm reminded of um, the Kyoto brothers um, because um, Charles Kyoto, by his own admission, can't draw. Um, his, his brother... Well, him. But his, uh, now, I, now I'm getting their names reversed. Stephen Kyoto. Anyway, one of the brothers can draw really well uh, but doesn't sculpt but the other brother sculpts but can't, sculpts draw. Can't, but can't draw yeah it's chocolate like, and peanut it's butter so weird yeah absolutely and uh, uh, well I, but I think folks like you Ken are more uh, because I'm a film guy I think of you guys as more cinematographers and directors because you're composing the frame you're not uh, uh a sculptor is looking at, like you said, if they're looking at the entire three-dimensional thing. Mm-hmm. You turn it, it has to look at this way, it has to look at this way. But it doesn't tell a story or imply It story. doesn't, exactly. But you are telling a story 
by setting up the frame, you're telling the audience, here is what I want you to look at. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that I, I, I'm uh, I'm going to reference one of your paintings, the the, the Leonard Cohen painting. Um, you're deciding that the audience is looking at Leonard that way, mm -hmm. that direction, right? Right. Whereas if you had sculpted that head, yeah, you can look at it any way you want. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that um, uh, <laughs> another it. name that we can't uh, remember. No, I, I, I totally lost it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Sculpting. Yeah, it's 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 funny because uh, one of my professors was like, "Hey, man, if you can draw, you can sculpt." And mm. I'm like, I'm like, you're full of shit. <laughs> um, well, I think you can, you can probably do anything, but like we were saying earlier, you have to invest a lot of time in learning how to do it. You know, there are people, there are people who come to me, um, who don't work in watercolor and they'll say, watercolor is so hard. And I'm thinking in my head, it's just so hard because you don't do it. You know, if you did it and if you did it enough, it would not be hard. You know, maybe you're as good at it as, as, uh, someone who's, I don't know. Uh, um, I, I'm not going to try and think of anyone, yeah. Jay Booth or someone like that. But um, but you can still learn it enough to at least do the basics. But I, think, I, I think that there's all, there's a, also this element of Zen to watercolor, where it's like there's always going to be that element where is it you know is it the color going to break right? Is it going to move in the direction that I want it to? Right. Um, so that's right, and that's what I love about it. It has this sort of like, this is this thing that happened, this agreement between this paper, this water, this paint, and this artist. Um, because if you go, you go to try to do it again, you can get something similar, but it's always a little bit different in my in my experience. Do Do you agree, Ken? Uh, yeah, I mean, to 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 a large degree, depending on uh, what kind of style you work in, it, whether you work in like a very controlled, uh, uh, realistic, fully realized, really detailed style, or if you work in a real loose uh, style where you have, say, puddles and and splashes and stuff that you sort of know what it's going to look like when it's done, but not necessarily. And actually, a lot of the favorite parts of a lot of my paintings are the backgrounds where I've just put water and paint together in various amounts and times and like turn the paper, flip the paper up or whatever, let it drip here and there because I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But I know it's going to look interesting and have some detail that I wouldn't have been able to do on my own, think of on my own or replicate because the way the paint reacts with water and the paper and whatever else you use with it. Do you, uh, I, I am not... Uh, a, a watercolor uh, painter. Um, That's okay. So I have lots of questions. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, do you, when you're painting in watercolor, and you say, for example, you're doing kind of a, a, a I, I don't know, for lack of a better word, a nebulous background or right. or, or, or an uh, organic background that that kind of lets it do its own thing. 
Right. Does that mean that you then have to mask off the areas that you are wanting to define? Well, it depends. Like if you have, for example, uh, a bust of someone, you're going to have a, a pretty solid outline, for lack of a better word, uh, so you don't have to worry so much about masking. But if you have, say you had a sky, and in front of that sky you had a swamp with trees and all this, all these various things, um, then you either paint a sky that's lighter than the foreground, so you can just paint the foreground on top of that sky that's already been finished, or you just paint very carefully. And, you, and a lot of times that doesn't work because you don't want your background to have a lot of carefully uh, painted lines that you end up seeing, at least if you work in a style like, say, I, I work in. Um, um, I don't even know if I answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> that happens well, a lot around here. <laughs> well, uh, but, but I do like those backgrounds a lot, and I don't necessarily aim for a specific shape. Um, um, I... A lot of times I just put some paint on, put some water on, and let it flow either around the paper or into another color or something, just to have something interesting, not necessarily something recognizable. Sometimes you can do that. Sometimes you can use a loose style to simulate a tree line or uh, fog or any number of things. Um, but some, it, the most fun part is when you're just doing something that you want to look interesting when you're done. Um, oil painters do something similar sometimes. They 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 will they'll they'll uh, have a mixture of oil and I don't know what else because I don't paint with oil. Snot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there are different mediums you can use to thin it down and do the same sort of thing. Right, you, and you wind up kind of you know you manipulate the canvas to mm -hmm. to, to get the paint to run this way or that way, and it does. Right, and it can create like these amazing for lack of a better word, weird um, backgrounds that are just gorgeous. And then well, there are two things that I can interject here. One thing I remember um, that I saw, there was a, a, a collection of Richard Corbin stuff, a hardback, where one of his male figures is floating in the foreground and this uh, uh, marbleized background is behind him yeah. that you have to achieve by mixing usually an oil medium and a water medium or something like that um, to get that sort of marbleized thing. That was one thing I remember seeing that I wanted to try and replicate. Um, and then another thing lately that I've been having fun with and I have to teach a community class in later on, which is why I'm messing around with it a lot, is a technique called acrylic pour technique where you pour yeah. you know, onto a lot of different surfaces, and there are different ways to pour it, different ways for the paint to interact. Uh, but you can end up with some really interesting, detailed, uh, otherworldly kind of uh, vistas, so to speak. Um, and anybody can do it. And then how uh, good your, your paintings are as, as a, a body of work might depend on how much knowledge you have of composition and mm -hmm. color theory and stuff like that. But it can, it's really fun and you're, you're probably, you're never going to end up a pain that looks the same no matter how closely you follow uh, the steps yeah. because the paint flows and it, 
and it flows in and out of other colors, and um, it's just a lot of fun to do. You know who does this? Uh, Chai, uh, future guest, Chai Clayton. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Uh, one of my of friends it. does it, and, and I'm I'm always, like, when I talk to her, I'm like, you know, she's telling me the process, and I'm like, oh, my God, because then it has to, like, sit there for X amount of days, and then she has, you know, then she puts resin yeah, on you have it. To put your this, yeah. This whole, it's yeah, it's like crazy. It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I'm, that part is mainly just the... Uh, archiving of the work. The actual doing the work is a lot faster. It's um, almost like performance art in a weird way. It's well, like, there are a couple like artists that do that, that, that do this live. Yeah. 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 There's a uh, there's an artist um, that I remember liking a lot way back. I worked at a, a print shop in about like 1985 um, in Utah. And his name's Paul Jenkins, and he's an abstract expressionist, but he's one of the abstract expressionists that really didn't get a ton of exposure. Uh, and uh, there's an, a new artist that worked with him that I've seen on doing YouTube videos that doing the same style, and it's basically setting up a canvas, uh, just a canvas, not, not adhered to any frame, and you set it up so the paint drips down the canvas the way you want and then into a, you know, a... A, a big cup or a container just to contain the mess. But you end up with these really beautiful fields of color, some of them interacting with each other, and, and that's something sort of like the acrylic pour type thing Yeah, that's really fun because it's actually more about the process and discovery rather than aiming for any specific look. You know, it's interesting. I saw something that's similar to this acrylic pour thing being done um, with icing on cake. Really, <laughs> get this really nice, almost ganache shine to it. Right, and they they mix it all into this bucket thing, and they just pour it over the cake. And however it breaks is how it, the icing. That's works. crazy. Yeah, it reminds me of a barista who's really good at yeah. at split. Oh yeah, that's stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm curious about the the transition to to cards and working with Magic the Gathering. Uh huh. How did that come about? Uh, well, um, back around, say, 1991 or two, um, I don't know how I met this person, but uh, there's a woman named Maria Carbato who was an art director then, and she's gone on to make a film about Jeffrey Jones and work with a bunch of different companies as, as art director. But she was working in a company called Mayfair Games who was doing work similar to what would come from White Wolf later. And so I did a couple of illustrations for uh, a, a book, a couple of books that they did, horror illustrations. And then she went to Magic as an art director. And what I, my memory's kind of hazy on this, but I, I talked to Jesper Mirfors, who was main art director there. And I think what happened was Maria uh, re uh, referred some of my stuff to Jesper, who had me do work for magic and this was pretty much concurrent with doing the white wolf stuff just to, uh, different companies um so I, th I think that's how i ended up doing work for magic nice nice you do and i think uh, i think i met maria actually uh initially at like san diego comic convention or something that might be where she met me first i'm curious uh you do a lot of cons do you find that conventions are a um, a uh, uh, beneficial thing for you as far as 
both monetarily and also to network? Well, um, I don't do very many comic conventions anymore. I do San Diego, and I think I'm going to do WonderCon this year. Uh, but what I found for me, and it's just for me, is I, I mean, it's essential for me to make money at these things, obviously, because it's the way, one of the main ways I make a living. So uh, I found that comic conventions, unless it's incredibly huge like San Diego, what you have is a lot of people that are there for a lot of different reasons. And, and I'm not one of them necessarily. So, uh, I don't get the amount of attention and don't sell the amount of stuff that I need to for it to be worth the time and the money that's spent to, to get to these places. But what I have found is the Magic the Gathering tournaments that I've been going to for the last couple of years, and this year I have like 10 or 12 coming up, um, are tons better because those people are there for one thing. Now, granted, my work being in the beginning of the game might not be as well-known to people who are new in the game, but um, there are enough people who have been playing the game long enough that they might know the stuff that I did. So it's basically, you know, the idea that everyone's there for, for one reason, for that game. Mm -hmm. So it works out really well for me. I don't know about networking so much other than meeting some of the other artists that I might not have met otherwise. Yeah, that's what um, I'm And publishers and agents. Yeah, and, but, but even the comic conventions, uh, I don't think... I don't know if there are that many editors and publishers that are walking around looking for work at those conventions because it's just so big. And, you know, if you're an editor and you want to uh, keep samples, I mean, you got to carry around stuff. I've just heard this from other people that, you know, showing stuff to people at a convention and expecting results, unless you're just really, really good and you really stand out. I think you sort of get lost in the shuffle of everything else that's going on. Agreed. I think that when you go to a con looking for that kind of thing, the best you should hope for is a card. Right. Get a card and deal with the rest of that later. You know, there's well, nowadays, the place to go really is something like Alexicon, if you're an illustrator and an artist, because a lot of art directors go to that. I haven't been to one because I don't know if I can really spend the money to go. It's not a place that you go to really make money. It's a place you go to to network more than anything else. Right, right. Where, where is home for you these days? Um, I'm in Corona, California, which is close to Riverside, California, which is like about 40 minutes from L.A. Sure, and that convention is like on the opposite side of the United States, so it's, it's a big deal to have to... Yeah, there are these a lot of these cons where that you don't really hear about a lot, and they're the ones that people gravitate to for riders. I know Nikon is one that everyone seems to go to, but right. it's mostly the just riders that, that go. Yeah, it's more it, of a rider retreat. It, than it's else. more of a uh, uh, a trade show yeah. than it is yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. convention. I wanted to ask you, uh, um, uh, and I think this is a question that's important for people listening who. Um, who do work and, and maybe go to like their local con um, when you do a Chris Cornell, when you do a Leonard Cohen are you doing a, a one-off original piece or are you making prints and if that's the case how does licensing come into that well yeah that's a tricky subject and one a subject I haven't had to deal with yet um, my uh, 
take on it, and maybe it's going to bite me in the ass one day in the future, I don't know, is that I think I am considered so small time that people are not going to come after me for uh, selling prints of Chris Cornell, for example. Um, because when I'm in San Diego, I sell prints of a lot of different, like Game of Thrones characters, for example, sure, sure, sure. Um, that I've done. If I, uh, on the other hand, if I was advertising in Rolling Stone that I s have all these prints of all these characters, then I probably would get in trouble. Right. It's just a visibility thing. Um, I've heard that they were going to start cracking down on, uh, at like San Diego on uh, some of those guys that have the big wall of prints behind them where they have like 50 different characters, headshots, they all look the same except for a costume. Um, because they have just such a high visibility. Um, but so far, I mean, the, the only thing that, that that's really affected me is I have a, a small book that is like the best of my fantasy and horror type art. Um, but I really would have a book, love to have a book of all the music portraits that I've done mm -hmm. and more that I would do. But obviously I can't do it because... Uh, or I could probably get in trouble licensing-wise. I mean, I guess I could probably do the book and apply the same logic that I apply to my work, that not that many people are going to see it, so it's not a big deal, but that's something I don't know if I want to gamble with. Right, right, right. I'm curious. I know you're uh, a music guy. Are you a film guy? Oh, yeah. I mean, I see way too many movies and watch too much TV and have way too many CDs. <laughs> uh, let, let, let's, let, let's talk about that a bit. Well, yeah, uh, uh, go ahead. I'm curious about, well, I guess we'll start with, in, in the music field, like, what are the, what, what's the iconography for you? I mean, the, the, you mean, the, the really, that the bands that just make you weak in the knees? Oh, um, well, they're all over the map, to be honest. I mean, I was a, a DJ at a community station back in Utah in the 80s, and again a little bit later in a small uh, college station. I think it was in Georgia. Do you remember the uh, call letters? Uh, well, the one in, in Utah was KRCL. It was in Salt Lake City, Utah. It was a community station. I really loved it. Um, and I don't know about the, the college one. I can't remember which college it was at. I had a show on uh, K KCSU, Santa Clara University. The afterlife. It was. It was. It was like twelve to four. Right. And I, yeah. I, I, and I could spin anything. And I, I had a, know, I would be like, ladies and gentlemen, Diamanda Galas. <laughs> like I had a show at that. That's community. Well, I had a couple different shows. I had one that I had with a, a friend of mine. We were both in the new wave stuff, so it was Beat Crazy, named after a Joe Jackson song. There you go. And then I had another one called Audio Gymnastics, which is sort of paraphrasing a, an Elvis Costello line in one of his songs um, where I could play anything. And I would go from uh, a live classical tune where you could actually tell it was an audience into like a live routine from Lily Tomlin in something else. Yeah. So that I, was great. It was totally all over the map. I learned uh, or, or was introduced to so much new music through my local community radio station yeah, back in, in southern Illinois. Shout out to WDBX Carbondale. <laughs> you know, I got, I got lucky in that at 18, I went to work for the warehouse. Right. And then I worked for Record Factory, and I worked for the warehouse, and then I did like 10 years at Tower. Right. So oh, there, yeah. there was this Tower Records, that's so sad. It yeah, makes yeah. me sad. 
time I hear the word. Oh, yeah. It's the only place I've ever worked where 15 minutes before your register shift, your boss came up to you and goes, hey, you got a register shift in 15 minutes. <laughs> Whatever you're going to do, you should go do right now, which meant if you're going to go get stoned or, or <laughs> whatever. Um uh, have any of us, have any of the three of us seen the Tower Records documentary? documentary? I know a lot of people that are in it, but I haven't seen it. Seen what? So oh, oh, no, I heard about that, but I'd love to see it. Right. But the nice thing was is that there was this thing that they referred to there as rotation, where if you were on shift, you were put into rotation, and you were responsible for, you know, in the days of CDs, you would, you the next CD, and then it was right. your turn, then it was Ken's turn. Sure. So you got exposed to this such a wide variety of things. Yeah. The problem with me now is is that now I don't like, I'm not a guy that revisits records. Now I'm always like... Show me all everything that's new and look, show me. You know. And I'm the guy <laughs> that listens to the same record over and over and over. Yeah, over. I do that to some degree too. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a big favorites that I, I just have memorized. Some of them I don't even listen to anymore because that's like a superfluous experience. Yeah. It's already in my head. Why don't you listen to it? That's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> like, like, why do I have to put on Inagata de Vida because it's right there? Right. Right. I just like saying you're the guy that beat it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, and you you know what that's that was supposed to mean, right? That was supposed to be the actual lines of that. It was in the Garden of Eden, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. you know, drugs. So <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in one. I would like to hear when you work when you're working on a painting. Do you listen to music? And if so, oh, yeah. What do you listen to? Well, yeah, I always listen to music. Period. Um, um, I usually have like thirty or forty CDs on shuffle that I'm that I'm playing, um, but I don't really tailor the music to the to the artwork I'm doing. Um, it's just whatever I like. I'll I'll go in these big suitcases CDs and I'll start pulling stuff out, and I might start continuing to pull out stuff that goes together, or I might just go through and say, okay, I haven't heard this in a while, I haven't heard that in a while, and just pull it out. Random. And there's the, there's the beauty of the smash mix, you know, where like one record you're listening to collides with another one. Right. You know, right. country hits punk. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a thing. And it's like that would be X. That would be X's band, uh, the Knitters. <laughs> oh, the Knitters yeah. are great, man. One of my favorite bands of that time around that same era, kind of thing. Uh -huh. Tex and the Horseheads. Oh. Female oh, vocalist. Was, what's that? I don't think I know them. Oh, they're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're absolutely, I think their music is in Ur Music War or some shit like that. But she was this bombastic chick that would just get out there and <laughs> be drunk and scream her lyrics. <laughs> they were great. <laughs> that sounds like a, they were great. That sounds horrible. No, they were great. Look up, trust me on this. Look up Text in the Horsehead. Um, okay, so uh, like, here, tell me more. I want to hear more about, about the bands. I mean, well, I can tell you about a lot of people that I met because of the paintings I did. I don't know if you want to hear that. Yes. Because that was that was a big deal for me. Uh, not so much now because I don't get out to see music. It's mainly, I think, because of the locale and probably because I'm older. But uh, there was definitely a period of time, uh, especially when I was in San Diego, because there's a place called the Belly Up in Solana Beach oh, that's yeah. north of San Diego a bit. And a lot of mid-level acts that I really liked would come through there. Um, and I had an exhibit there actually one time too, a bunch of big music paintings. But I've met like way early on. I met Don McLean, who's a big favorite of mine from long ago. Nice. 
he was just, I, I took a, 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 two things, a little painting that I did to give him and a big painting with a bunch of lettering of the songs around him to this place he was playing in Salt Lake City, I think, or somewhere in Utah. I had plans to somehow get in there, but I walked up and he just walked out a door almost right into my face. Right. And, and I talked to him for a minute or two. And then years later, when I was in San Diego, I would, if I knew someone was coming that I really, really, really liked and really wanted to meet, I'd do a painting, get a couple prints made to try and get him to sign it, and then I would try and get backstage. Sometimes you can work out ahead of time. Sometimes you just got to go and ask and, and hope. Uh, so, I mean, I met a bunch of people that I like, uh, Bruce Coburn, Loudon uh -huh. Wayne, Peter Himmelman, uh, Ani DeFranco, uh, Tori Amos. Um, you did stuff for Rain, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, her, uh, her charity. Yeah, basically what happened is I, I did a painting of Tori Amos for a magazine that a friend of mine published out of San Diego, and it ended up like on a bootleg CD somehow that I ended up getting. And then I can't remember how this person contacted me, but someone that worked at Rain maybe saw that painting. And so I, I also had done several paintings uh, on, for commission when she was really popular at, at comic conventions and stuff. And so I did a little Tori Amos painting for them to give away. And then um, I asked them, well, what do you think about doing a calendar? Uh, I can maybe network with a lot of artists, friends, and get artwork. And, and they said, yeah. So for about five years, I did that, and I would just ask a whole bunch of artists that I knew to try and get pro bono work because no one got paid anything. Um, and then I do a painting myself or two and, and do all the design and production and all that stuff. So I ended up getting a lot of people that I really liked to do artwork for these calendars. I mean, uh, Sinkevich did two, David Mack did a couple, uh, Chris Moeller did a couple, um, and then there was one where I tried to concentrate on one of my, some of my favorite illustrators. And I got C.F. Payne to do one and Mark Summers to do one. And uh, so it was a really fun, time-consuming, frustrating project because, you know, calendars don't really necessarily sell that well. And uh, But it was I, I got to do a lot of cool artwork, find a lot of cool artwork for that. Yeah. Sidebar on this, Sinkevich, Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I think he is probably, if I had to choose someone whose work I would only be able to look at, I mean, it would be close between people like Jeff Jones and Dave McKean and people like that, but Sinkevich can basically do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. does everything really well. <laughs> if you follow him on Facebook, like when someone passes, he, he'll yeah, do he's been doing that all the time. Yeah. And it's, they're just these cast off um, sketches are just they're just jaw dropping yeah. um, look at yeah, that guy it's a real nice guy I've always, been, I've always been really envious of people who um, can for lack of a better word sketch like I, I yeah, can't yeah. sketch like I you know who does good stuff I'm like that Paul broken. Komoda yeah I know Komoda's, oh, man Komoda's sketchbook is sick it's, it's nuts it's yeah. like oh here's a Ernest Borgnine I did this morning. <laughs> like, oh my God, but it still this has an edge to it. That's yeah. very, very cool. Um, what about film? What, what kind of film? Like, like if 
Desert Island discs on film, a couple of them. Oh, yeah. There are many like that. I mean, um, most of my favorites are sort of mid-level or independent movies. Okay. Uh, uh, like um, um, Alan Rudolph's movies, like uh, uh, not so much Choose Me, uh, Trouble in Mind is one. Okay, that's a big wow. Look at that. Um, yeah. That's got a great and, score by Mark Eichmann. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a really good soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then usually what ends up happening, I mean, I like a lot of like big movies and stuff, but a lot of a lot of times what will happen is I'll, re- I'll really, really like a director. Yeah. Like one director now that I really like, I think his first name's Roger, his last name's Nichols. Oh, yeah. He did uh, a lot of Michael Shannon movies, which he's one of my favorite actors anyway, mm-hmm. but like Midnight Express, uh, I think Shotgun Stories, Mud. No, no, am I getting him confused with uh, um, another? Uh, were you talking about Midnight Special? Yeah. Did I say Midnight Express? Yes. I've done that before. I've done yeah, that before. Yeah, that's yeah. the Alan Parker. Film. That's a good movie too, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like also, uh, uh, um, oh, shit, what's his name? Uh, uh, P. T. Anderson. Like, oh yeah. Boogie Nights is a huge favorite. Yeah. Even. Hard Eight, I think is his first one. Mm-hmm. Just the only one, but it's crazy. One of the few movies I ever walked out on was his. I think it's like two or three movies ago, the one with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, the Master? No, 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 no. Uh, shit. The, the, it, Joaquin Phoenix was like sort of a pot smoking sort of detective, uh, and it was like I think it was an adaptation of like maybe a Raven Chamber story or something like that. Oh, oh. Inherent vice. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. That sucked for me. <laughs> um, I was, and it's like it's the same. Uh, you know, I was, I was so excited to see a new Paul Thomas Anderson movie, and I just couldn't believe it. And it's the same thing. Like, I was really into My Morning Jacket. That three albums in a row uh, that were just incredible. Uh, and then the next one that came out was like. That didn't seem that good. So, I don't know. Right. But yeah, I just see dis- way too many movies. That's always <laughs> disappointing when, when, like, you know, your guy, you know, he's coming to bat one more time, and you're like, what the... What? I, I don't mind that when my guy is swinging for the fences. Uh, oh, yeah. But when, he's doing, when they're doing something that's sort of well within their wheelhouse and they still fuck that up, yeah. they're like... Well, you know, I also realize it could just be me. It could just be my taste. That's probably what it is. It's just yeah. not up my alley for well, whatever reason. Well, I just, I, I just think certain things don't resonate with certain people. Well, that's you know, it is. I, I, I wanted to mention you, you brought up Michael Shannon. Are you excited about The Shape of Water getting 13 Oscar nominations? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, that guy, it's kind of funny to me because if anyone should play the David Letterman story, it should be him. Oh, my God. He wow. so much like him. So good call. That's a great call. But, you know, what's funny is one of my favorite movies of his was almost a throwaway dumb movie with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt where he was a bicycle messenger. Um, oh yeah, and That's Michael right. Shannon had this part who would, he was sort of menacing but also funny. It was a really cool part for him. Yeah, he's he's so good in things. What is it? Take shelter and oh yeah, that's one of my favorite moves. So many things. Yeah, yeah. that's that guy, that that uh, Nichols guy. He just does really cool movies. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, uh, well, shit, we have to have you back on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
uh, Ken, where can people look at, see your stuff and, and buy your stuff and um, um, get? Well, I have to give up my address. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I do have a website, obviously, like everyone. It's KenMeyerJr.com, and I just did a new website separate from that that you can get to from the website I just mentioned where it's more of a sale website where people can buy originals and prints and magic playmats and token cards and all that stuff. And, of course, I'm on Facebook. And um, and I, I don't really use Instagram a ton. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I have an account there, and I've got a lot of artwork on it, but I don't post often enough. Right. And I don't use Twitter a ton either. I mean, I actually really hate Twitter, but I do use it some, uh, mainly just the website. I also do a column, a monthly column on the comic fanzines of the past because that was a big part of my high school and college years is reading the fanzines and contributing to them. So I've done like a hundred and something columns of that. It's called Ink Stains. And you'll see it referenced on my Facebook page. And on my website, there's a section for Ink Stains. You can actually access all the past columns. So you can see all these amazing artists before they re when they were still learning. Right. You know? That's yeah. awesome. It's, cool. it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool yeah. That's a cool thing. All right, buddy. Um, we're going to take a break, and we'll, we'll be back in just a second. Again, yeah. I, we always come back with the same know, thing about like, eh. that was awesome. he's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Ken Ken does stuff that is beautiful. One of the things that I love about and and I regret not being able to, to, to talk to him about is you know, when I was a kid I, I, I kinda steered away from watercolors because everything I saw was like Soft and pastel-y, mm -hmm. and, and and I didn't like that. And his stuff is so vibrant and mm -hmm. so bright and so Yeah, there's a great strong. sense of color. Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, let's see, moving on to stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff to go through, but we'll go through them quickly. Uh, first of all, some, some people who have passed. Mort Walker, draw artist for Beetle Bailey. Wow. Yeah, so I think he, granted, he may have, he was in his 80s or 90s. Sure, or sure. But Beetle Bailey was a big deal. That was a big deal, yeah. Once upon a time. 
Um, Robert Arthur, musical director for the Ed Sullivan Show. Again, oh, wow. Again, an elderly wow. man. By the way, speak. Uh, uh, when you mentioned Beetle Bailey, and I don't know why this, but it immediately made me flash to Ali Oop. Oh, okay. And, uh, and how, how much I loved that strip as a, as mm-hmm. a kid. And, uh... I'd be inter- I, I, I'm going to have to do some research now because I want to know when it went away, mm-hmm. and uh, if it, I, I'm surprised there hasn't been, I don't know, somebody trying to make an alley movie or you know. Um, yeah right. Yeah yeah well, yeah. Well, they kind of did it. Remember Caveman in a Dude. weird kind of way. Yeah man. Um, I but love the, that but movie. Beetle Bailey, I immediately think. Remember, it was a similar cartoon called Sad Sack. Oh yeah. That yeah, was yeah, a yeah. lot. Uh, they. It, it tilled the same ground mm-hmm. that Bill yeah. did. Uh, John Morris, composer for a shit ton of Mel Brooks movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Saline, he's an actor um, in, on Glee. He was recently arrested for yes. child porn, and he hung himself. He hung himself. Yeah, that's right. He was uh, Puck, I believe, on the show. On Glee. Yeah. Never seen Glee. It was. Uh I take it back. I saw the Rocky Horror episode, and oh, I wanted okay. to take my own life. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, oof. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> watch the show for the characters, not for the... Not for the... <laughs> not for the performances. Uh, Fidel Castro Diaz Ballard. Fidel Castro's son. He killed himself. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Do we know why? Uh, no. No. Okay. Uh, Rachel Butler, who was an NBA um, player... And mm-hmm. L- Leah LaBelle v- Vladowski, she was an American Idol singer. They were together, um, going to be married, I want to say, and there was a car accident that oh, killed them both. Oh, that sucks. Um, Dennis Edwards, one of the lead singers of The Temptations, that yes. was yesterday, yeah, yeah, yeah. died in the 70s. Not, yeah. He was the guy who replaced David Ruffin. I'm reminded, somebody at work said, hey man, are you guys, like, I don't know what, you know, who you guys have coming up on your obituaries. But uh, I just wanted to know if there was going to be another guy that was the best boy on a movie from like 50 years. Did someone say that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know, they get a little obscure. But again, but again, who's going to... Who's going to... Somebody needs to... Someone should remember. absolutely. Someone should remember them. Speaking of, adult film star Jerry Butler. Ah, man. Yeah. So, uh... I am really familiar with Jerry Butler's work. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, all I'm going to say is there's a great one of his films is a film called Raw Talent, yes. where he's like, tw- it's he's super young and he's like, oh, I'm a Vietnam vet. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Hilarious. Uh, I think that was also the name of the book he wrote. Raw uh, Talent. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. There's a great scene, and all I'm going to say is, is he's a cook in a restaurant. And a bitchy old lady asked for extra man. <laughs> <laughs> I he's he's one of the first porn stars that I heard talk about this thing of like trying to get out, mm-hmm. trying to get away from porn, mm-hmm. and that uh, and, and and it was reflected in in Boogie Nights so perfectly that like really if you're a porn actor. That's your family. Like, like yeah. when, you, when you try to go away... It's hard to move. The, the reason why you come back isn't because, oh, I need the money or whatever. It's because those are the people who love you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a little bit of weirdness in there. You know sure. what I mean? Um, um, but there was, there's only been a couple of people that have made been able to make that transition. Right. Tracy Lords. Right. Uh, um, who seems to have... have 
walked away for good. Yeah. Uh, Ginger Lynn, who left and was doing Rob Zombie films and then went back. And then went back, yeah. Um, I want to say Lisa DeLeo did did a couple of straight roles. I but for the most part, you're I right. I think Sasha Gray did a couple of Sasha films, Gray, yeah, yeah. She did that movie, The Girlfriend Experience. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was terrible. So that's the other issue is that, like, Maybe this is what you were made for. Well, you take, <laughs> you, well, you take the take that away, and now it's just you emoting in a room doing a scene, right? And it betrays that you know a lot of these gals aren't great actresses, right? Right. In that field, right. in their field, they're aces, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. So there's that. There's that. Some of the news coming up: Jennifer Hudson from the American Idol, Dreamgirls, right. doing an Aretha Franklin bio. Uh, that could be good. Yeah, I'm absolutely. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Somebody I, needs to. Yeah, absolutely. There, I was thinking about that the other day about all of these people in my recent memory. People like Aretha Franklin. People, you know, this, get the treatment that they gave, like Ray Charles. Right. Exactly. Um, I'd be so down for all that. Man, did you did you get a chance to check out this Quincy Jones interview that was in GQ? This is where he talks shit about Taylor Swift, yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's just one. Uh, yeah. The whole interview is bananas. Nice. I mean, like, he's I'll have he, to look it up. He's that's an awesome. 85-year-old guy who doesn't give King a... King of the music, man. Yeah, he doesn't give a fuck. And he's yeah. just like, he, he, you know, if there's dirt to be dished, he dishes it. No, he, now I have he to. He tells us great... He tells us great... Like, when he, he, he was talking about Ray Charles um, shooting up heroin in his <laughs> testicles... And he's like, yeah, it was really, yeah, I, like he had a guy for it, you know, like wow, <laughs> like that, that was that guy's job, you know. You think your job is shitty? Shitty. <laughs> Try injecting heroin into Ray Charles's testicles. It's it's a crazy. That, by the way, oddly enough, my new band, Ray Charles Testicles. <laughs> it's a crazy interview, and anybody wow. who. You should definitely I, check yeah, it out. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, here comes a no surprise. Ronda Rousey signed to WWE. Yeah. Um, Boy, what a kick in the what a kick in the <laughs> head will do for you. Makes you change your entire career. I you know I mean I guess I mean where else do you go? You know? Well, there's a potential for big money. Yeah. On the other hand, I I call it the the, the wrestling connection. That if you want an evidence of why it's a bad idea, Cindy Lauper, who managed to get out of it, but for a while there she was really into the whole like Captain Lou Albano thing, right, right, and her career suffered for it. Yeah, she, she nailed this little base. Yeah, but in a broader scheme, it wasn't until later. Well, that, I think I think people misread. I think people misread because it was it was so huge mm -hmm. at that time. And, and at that point in the Captain 80s, Lou Albano had a kid show. Yeah, the Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, Super yeah, Mario yeah, Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, it's insane, terrific to think about. I think it's, she's perfectly suited for it. You know. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Here's the other thing: is uh, there's there's she might be looking at it this way. Um, okay, so my career in this endeavor is done. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the the trend. I see. I, I anymore. I see professional wrestling as the transition between maybe this legitimate, uh, legitimate um, athletic career mm -hmm. and acting. Yeah, 
Well, she's done like a Fast and Furious she movie. She has. She's and done a couple, a couple of things. things. And yeah. She's no aces as an actress. No, no. So uh, I think that it m- other people would would have come back from her recent her recent setbacks and rallied and done the Rocky thing. Sure. Um, but. You know, like I say, that that kick to the head must have sh- shook her world, and Whoa. she was like, "I'm going to go do something else where people don't kick me in the head." Because she was on top of that. Yeah, world. she was. And but it, they turned on her. She was like the Mike Tyson. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, the fan base the, turned you know. on her. They were like, "Fuck her" and yeah. all this other shit. It's like, calm down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a, you won't do that. Yeah, exactly. You won't fight that. You won't fight Chris Cyborg. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, Mel Gibson says there's going to be a new Passion of the Christ. Right. Which focuses on, he says, the resurrection. Right. I don't know what he means by that. Is it the three days and, hey, look, it's Jesus, or is it the rapture? I remember reading about this, like, a year or two ago, Mm -hmm. and as I understand, it's about the three days. Okay. Uh, I'm in. Then I guess you know. I guess you know there ain't going to be any beatings, you know right? Because I mean? that was the hard thing. You know, I love this the work that they did, but the the the, the whipping scene in Passion of the Christ is hard to sit through, even yeah, for yeah. a hardened guy like me. Yeah. yeah. Um. Um. So I'm kind of down for that. I just wonder now that there's this studio. I forget what they're called. They're not not clean flicks, but there's something like that, and they're doing. Faith-based Faith. genre films, right, right, right. And I'm wondering how soon they tried it with the Left Behind series, but I wonder how soon do we get to the Rapture? Well, I don't. Movies. I just. I mean, maybe. Um, I I don't think. I think that that's a smaller thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't think folks like Gibson are gonna. Are gonna it's too hard. Through. You can't touch that. Yeah, what, are you yeah, yeah. what are you thinking? Right. Uh, Without being, br- I mean, he are already, and that's this is what surprised me because he already kind of was branded like, oh, it's Wacky Mel, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and and there's no denying he's a good filmmaker, and he's that's a great, hard. He's a great the filmmaker, and it's and, and you know, it, and especially in today's climate, we're faced with that question all the time, mm-hmm. like, do we, do we stop paying attention to the art that this person is making because they are. This or this or anti-Semitic mm-hmm. or whatever they, whatever yeah. they might be, um, and the reality is is not to sort of normalize that, but but a lot of times you hear stories about like Michelangelo being a complete prick, right. and and you know everyone, you know artists in, inherently, they, I think they try to sort out their damage via their art, right? Um, so so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see, Cloverfield 4 will be set in World War II. <laughs> I, I posted something about this, and somebody was like, there was a Cloverfield 3? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> well, there there is now. There's there's uh, uh, the one Cloverfield Lane. There's Cloverfield, Cloverfield Lane. This new thing that they're doing that's obliquely related. Right. And then Cloverfield 4 in yeah, World yeah. War II. Uh, I'm excited. Cited only because it's in World War Two. Yeah. yeah, it'll be a cool drag. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Zachary Quinto, who plays Spock in the new Star Trek movies, right, is going to n- be the host for a resurrection of In Search of, like Leonard Nimoy. Used wow. To. Yeah. Wow. That's that's very cool. That's cool. I yeah. love that Quinto is sort of embracing his, the the connection he has. Yeah. With. with uh, 
uh, Nimoy. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. loved In Search of when I was growing In up. In Search of was great, man. That's yeah. where I found out about a lot of Bigfoot, shit, yeah, all, all that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Super Mario Brothers is being done as a film by Illumination, Illumination Studio, who did Despicable Me and the Minions. So look for a super cute. Bullshit. Super Mario Bros. Bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. I don't... Stop making movies out of video games. (laughs) Uh, Robert Wagner has now been named as a person of interest in the death of Natalie Wood. Like, shocker. Like, 30 years later. Like, (laughs) why? There's only three people on a boat. Why haven't this... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Does Walken have to worry about... Well, I guess it's that Walken has, has... said a few things. Uh. I just today, um, this I didn't even write this down. Uma Thurman um, gave an interview where she talked about being assaulted by Harvey Weinstein right. and being put in a car that there was a car accident. Right. By I want to talk about that a little bit. Okay. Is this the time? Sure. Or, okay. Um, Quentin Tarantino, a dick. Yes. We always knew that. We always well, knew I'd he also was a say dick. he's a filmmaker trying to get a film done. Exactly. And, yeah. and directors... I get it. It, it, it. It's a completely different thing. The only thing I worry about that is that people start equating what Quentin did... Mm-hmm. With what Weinstein did. With what Weinstein did. Two completely <laughs> different types of, of... Right. But I things. do think that inherent in directing is the idea that... This is going to be dangerous, even if it doesn't look dangerous. It's right. going to be dangerous. Look at look at what happened to Brandon Lee walking through the door with some groceries. Right, exactly. So you want everyone to be safe, right. and, and when you start skimping on safety, and when you start browbeating your cast to do something that they don't want to do, right? Um, I think we we're in danger, not dangerous, but like iffy territory. Sure. And I, but that said, I completely agree. Apples and oranges to John, what John Landis, did. you know, telling them, you know, more, bigger explosions. Yeah, you exactly. Because uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's easy in the moment to go, no, we're here to make this film and we need to make this film. It becomes that whole right. eight and a half kind of mad genius thing. Right, right, right. But uh, at the end of the day, these people should be safe. And when, yeah. and when they're made to feel to do stuff, you know, I'm sure even someone like Jackie Chan has to, at some point in his career, say, no, no, don't worry, you can jump off this roof into that... that Right, pull down there, but um, it shouldn't be. It should be that everyone's informed and everyone gets to right. do. Exactly. But I agree with you. The there's a false equivalency there. Yes. Um, so there's that. Uh, John Logan, who directed Skyfall, is doing a movie uh, supposedly with Leonardo DiCaprio on the life of Leonardo da Vinci. Right. Um, I wonder if they're going to address all of Da Vinci's life or if if, 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 if they're going to go into his sexuality and, and, and his relationship you got to right? I think you do and yeah. I think he it would be the better for it yeah uh, I mean that's that's a perfect example of somebody in history who hasn't been uh, for lack of a better word humanized mm-hmm. you know I mean it's real easy to think of Da Vinci in this kind of yeah I don't know, almost mythic. Uh, um, Merlin-esque. Yeah, almost. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember as a kid, I when I 
thought of Da Vinci, I thought of the painting on the cover of Left Overture by Kansas. Hey. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's funny. Uh, but there is a whole, you know, there's a real guy there. You yeah. Know? yeah. Well, but there's some in- there's interesting. I just saw a trailer. We're going to talk about it, I think, next week for a movie called Young Karl Marx. And it's this very much this sort of dramatized version of, of their life, like informing people of, like, yeah. important figures that... Let's be honest. Most educational systems aren't providing the de- that kind of depth. Right. Uh, F- I don't hear why. I don't know. F. Gary Gray, who did Friday, is yeah. doing um, a spinoff of Men in Black, which I hear will not have Tommy Lee Jones, Will Smith, or J- uh, Josh Brolin. Just uh, something else in that world. Okay. Which sounds could be good, could be bad. Could be good, could it's be bad. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this last week. Tom Hanks is doing a biography of Fred Rogers. We did not talk about that. I'm uh, in. I, if anybody's going to do it, yeah. he's the guy. He nails it. Yeah, you know, um, uh, those kind of things are always hard because you don't want to s- lean into caricature, right? Uh, but I think he's a good enough actor, and I think that. Rogers has a great story. He is a great story. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the few people that you can look at and go, you know, I I don't see any skeletons coming out of Mr. Rogers' closet. No. No. No, 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 no. Um, uh, Let's see. Clint Eastwood is talking about acting in a movie where he plays a 70-year-old drug mule. How old is Clint Eastwood? Like he's in his seventies or eighties, or whatever. Like okay. this old guy yeah. who, who through whatever reasoning, be it I let's I don't know this for a fact, but something like like his wife gets sick or whatever, and he needs money, right? And he ends up because as soon thing. as you said that, I, I I immediately flashed to Breaking Bad. Yeah, I know this is more like um, Jesus. What, there was a, there was a Spanish movie about the girl that uh, she she swallows a bunch of balloons of heroin. And travels over Maria, full of grace, or something like that. Okay, yeah. Um, but she she has these pockets, so he's an old man that I somehow they're going to put these drugs in him or on him. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I'm kind of interested in that in a weird way. Yeah. I don't know that he's going to be directing, which I think really makes it interesting. Um, I saw the trailer. It's for been the, a while since he just acted. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. It, not since uh, El Camino or whatever it is. What was it called? Gran Torino. Gran Torino. El Camino Gran Torino. Terminus That's El Dorado. Old guy move. <laughs> the, you know, the thing in the widget. Uh, so we did that. Look for a Don't Breathe sequel to come up. Uh, Stephen Lang was talking right. about it in an interview. Um, didn't, haven't seen Don't Breathe. I hear good things. By you the way, Stephen it? Lang, man. Stephen Lang. Yeah. Now, that guy's going to have his day one day. Yeah. They're going to give him a role, and he's just going to be Stephen Lang. Do what he's been doing all the time. I worry. I worry that he's, he's going to be too old for... What I think the role that he was born for, and that is Avatar Six. Dav- uh, no, Doc Savage. <laughs> Doc Savage. Doc Savage. He'd be great he as would Doc have been Savage. the best Doc Savage. He would have been a great Doc Savage. April tenth, this year, two disc set. Um, Dario Argento's Deep Red. Nice. It's in a nice. I don't know if Heather had anything to do with this, but it's in a nice. This nice two disc set. Lots of extra. Very cool. Lots of interviews. Very cool. Fantastic Beasts. Two will not address Dumbledore's sexuality, even though both Dumbledore and Gringle God or whatever the fuck his name is is they're both in the same film, but they're not going to address the fact that they were they had an, uh, a relationship. They 
They didn't have anything to do with the first Fantastic Beast, did they? No, they were in it peripherally, but now the to- story brings them together. Oh, okay. Um, and they're not going to make a big deal about, you know... Uh, I mean... Well, at least I know Dumbledore is a good kisser or whatever. Right. I, I don't know. I, I guess... I it's guess too much. It's too much, me. and, it, it, I, it, you know, I think it's cool that if you're a Potter fan, you know that stuff. Yeah. But... Look, I'm impressed as hell with Stephen Colbert and his knowledge of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But it... I, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. We don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Some people do. I don't. I don't. Yeah. And, and this is the kind of thing now that the Harry Potter universe has become so extended that I just don't have the time to keep up with it all. Sure. Star Wars is the same thing. Right. Um, Diane Lane and Greg Kinnear are cast in the final season of House of Cards. Right. As siblings, right? Is that what they're doing? I, I didn't I read that. I believe so, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, I don't know... I, I didn't watch I, the show, so I, yeah. I don't know... I gotta think one of two things. Assassination or the guy just drops dead. Right. And then they... Who knows what they do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Also, I saw Robert Kirkman. Um, this is not even on my notes. Robert Kirkman was talking about Walking Dead, and he's, he's all, hey... You know, Carl may be bit, but he's not dead. There's nothing that says he's dead, oh. which is what I've been saying that he's he's uh, immune. I'm saying Ooh. it now that he's immune because if you make Carl immune, two things: number one, we do what we should be doing, and that's severing the relationship between the book and the movie. Right. It also makes Carl super special, and it also, please, starts to set up an ending. For the series, no, I think they're going to ride this till the wheels come off. <laughs> I really do. I think, I think with their their ginning up Fear of the Walking Dead, they just added the uh, Morgan. They're they're trying to get in to that that interest. That audience seems to be growing. Uh huh. Um, you know, I'm just saying. Any other like AMC or not AMC or CBS, you want to compete with that stuff? I've got a book for you. Yeah. Uh, Fox wants to do a Gone Baby Gone TV series. I don't know how you do that. I don't either. I <laughs> yeah, I, that, that was one of those things where I go, wait a minute. Like, unless you're following de- the detectives right. to another murder, then maybe. But I don't know how you do that. Uh, Best Buy announces no more CDs. They're, uh, they're out of the CD business. You know, I recently went into our local Best Buy. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked. Their movie section has shrunk to, to this nothing. Tiny, this tiny corner. They they used to have, you know, rows and rows, exactly. And I don't know what to think about that. I you think know? It, it's them abdicating ground to online purchasing yeah. and streaming. Yeah, that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, that's fine. The only problem with all of that is. Is it becomes um, weird in that you end up buying the same thing over and over and over again. Right. So yeah, um, CBS announces some pilot orders. So they're gonna or they ordered certain projects to pilot, and then if if they're well received, they'll go to series. Right. Number one, L.A. Confidential. Isn't this what Frank Darabont did? That yeah. gangster thing he did I with think it was John Mobsters, Mobsters, or yeah, 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 yeah Mob yeah. City or something. So, like oh that. yeah, yeah. It it sounds like we've been here before, and uh, I I don't know. I mean, I love L.A. Confidential. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies. Um, 
I don't see a series, but uh, I think you, know. you just get you. The best you hope for on that is more of the same. Yeah. So um, let's see how that's a TV series. Ava DuVernay and Greg Berlanti. Ava DuVernay having done the uh, is doing Wrinkle in Time. Right. Uh, Berlanti doing the Berlanti verse. The Arrow, Supergirl right. stuff. Right, all the, the DC... Yeah, TV, yeah all that, TV whatever's stuff. going yeah. on. <laughs> the they're doing a, they're doing a racial drama, quote-unquote, called Redline. Supposedly about a black cop whose kid is killed by white cops, and she won't let it go. Right. And so she starts doing this investigation, and it sounds a little like... Scandal or how to get away with murder without all the salaciousness. Right, right, you know, right. More, it, the thing I saw when we went to see the I forget the last movie that we went to go see. There was a, you know, the twenty before the movie. Right. They did a thing on it and it looked good. Um, it looked it looked pretty solid. Well, I mean, if, if nothing else, it's 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 giving yet another perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's a lot. You're looking at a lot of that. I want to say. I've seen something recently that... I mean, a lot of things recently are talking about that kind of a dynamic. It's all over the paper. And right. it's political and that kind of thing. Sure. So, so people are more inclined to talk about it. And, and um, and you know, hopefully they, they can make something solid out of it. I've, the Ava DuVarney seems to have a Midas touch these days. So yeah. she's just doing everything. Um, and then, then finally, the last pilot they, they did was uh, Main Justice, which is weird. It's inspired by the life of Attorney General Eric Holder, which I don't really see him as, <laughs> as this dynamic starring Richard Roundry. No, it just, just doesn't kind of make sense. It looks like more legalese and... Yeah, I, you know, some people love that stuff, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, like... like well, look at... Remember, what was the thing? Boston Law or some shit like that? Where I mean, they love law stuff, yeah. so... I don't see him running around like, you know... I Personally, I hate that shit. Like, when I gotta go to court, it sucks. I, <laughs> I've never, I'm never a, there for a good reason. I've never had a good time in court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it just seems like kind of a weird... A weird thing. Like, almost like it got mentioned in a meeting. And someone yeah. was like, Yeah, That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then finally, for news, uh, Mallrats... Slash Seventh Heaven's Jeremy London, who has a history of being arrested for punching people, uh-huh. um, got arrested for domestic violence. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, the the mugshot I saw was 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 him just completely shit faced and kind of bleary eyed uh-huh. and, and with this look on his face like what? Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, so there's that. There's news going on to trailers. We, um, Nick Nolte's mugshot still my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> How many times in my life have I woken up and just felt like that picture looks? Yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. Um, uh, the picture I want to see is the mugshot, Mel's mugshot, and the Mel Gibson mugshot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they've ever released that, but goddamn, that's got to be funny. That's, yeah. I'm uh, sure he's smirking in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking like some guy that they found, like. He's lived in Appalachia for 30 years and has his own still made of pork rinds and banana peel. Alright, trailers. Uh, Aardvark. Zach Quinto, John Hamm, Jenny Slate. Looks a psychiatrist deals with brothers. Right. Um, one kind of goofy, one kind of sexy, but the sexy one, of course, is what? We, well, we, it's, it, I mean, it's obviously a psychological thriller. Yes. 
Zachary Quinto's character is convinced that his brother is... Looks a little on the spectrum, Zach. Yeah, yeah. Zach, yeah. Zach's, Zach does have... His character does have issues, but are his concerns about his brother real? Or are they made up? Because she winds up... The, she she wants clearly to, she fucks him yeah yeah she she fucks and let me bro. tell you yeah. John Ham I'd fuck him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and but uh, 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 to the point where Zachary Quinto's character thinks that his brother can change his shape and and be different yeah. people and stuff yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 uh, yeah, if you're into psychological thrillers this looks good Jenny Slate looks great. Who Jenny Slate used to be in in like these goofy stoner comedies yeah. and like she was on Getting Douglas High, and then she starts dating Chris Evans, <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I get, and now she's doing this top flight stuff. You know she's yeah. she's she's an interesting actress. Um, I the casting of her in this kind of sex pot thing, I don't know. But, yeah. You know, okay. It looks solid. It looks one of those yeah, it looks, like it looks cool. Yeah, you know, your parents. Oh, we saw the Aardvark, and it was so good. Right, right, blah, blah, right. Up next, uh, a documentary on American music and dance called America's Musical Journey. I normally love this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, this is an IMAX movie, so it's oh, all, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's all that. big. Uh, yeah. You are there. Of people dancing uh -huh. is what I see a lot of. And there's an artist is is uh, some performer is our host and he's looks like he's it's a movie not a series so it looks to me like they're trying to cram an awful lot into into a there's a lot of talking head stuff I thought there was a lot of like people talking about the effect of music and dance on American culture yeah. while you had slow motion scenes of all these yeah and and you know they're going to be talking about blues and jazz yeah and, yeah you know, yeah American you know air quotes music. Mm -hmm. um, for me, this kind of stuff works best if it's a series, mm. and 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 when it's in Ken somebody's hands, it. like Ken Burns, right? Yeah. Exactly. Take your time. Like, yeah, exactly. Especially when it's something like dance, where it's like you know you you can you or or even and music, you can say like well you know you can talk about like let's say Twilight Tharp, but then you go well and here's an example of Twilight Tharp, but that's like five minutes of your ninety minute film, right? Exactly. And so you're kind of you need that breadth for something like this. I agree. You need the breadth to have the time to go. Yeah. Here, here's an entire that's a dance. Big, that's a big subject. Yeah. American music history. Like, that's a, like documentary, a 90 minute documentary on rock and roll. Well, I mean, comprehensive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> comprehensive isn't going to be your watchword no. on this one. They're going to basically list, and then there was disco. <laughs> and then there was. <laughs> yeah. I just imagine a guy with album covers. Remember this? Thrown it aside. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, documentary on Andre the Giant called Andre the Giant. This looks badass. This, this looks, looks really great. Cool. Yeah. I'm not a wrestling fan at all. Nor am I. But man, yeah. The, I, the, well, first of all, um, the the story is about Andre the Giant's. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, um, consumption <laughs> of. Oh, he was what? Like seven something feet he tall, weighed over four hundred pounds. He carried it well. <laughs> he, he was he was huge, you know. And and what do you do if you're that guy? You know, just, you're born yeah. with giantism, and and what do you do? You just know? getting going and buying a pack of smokes at the at the store is a thing. Yeah, because you walk just walking in the door, people, you become a a yeah. thing. One one thing about him, you know, he was never 
um, you know, he wasn't in uh, uh, amazing physical shape, you know, Um, but he didn't have to be. You no. know, all those other guys, they were like, you know, working well, out like at, beasts. Look at, uh, as of late, the big show, who is very big like that. Uh huh. But he's muscular and he's yeah. just, I think. Andre was one of those, like, dudes. The thing that really didn't surprise me, especially after seeing the wrestler in this, was the idea that, like, he was an alcoholic. They, they, up front, they go, he was an alcoholic because he was in such pain. Yeah. You know, just, I think, being that big has yeah. got to be hard. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm in. I'm in on this one. Robert, uh, what was his name? Robert Waldo? Wadlow? Uh, the, the still, I think, holds the, the record as the tallest man ever. Mm. Eight foot eleven Jesus. something. Um, from around the St. Louis or Alton, Illinois. Um, you know, that guy didn't live to be very old because, mm-hmm. like, you know, he was Big people in don't. his 20s and had to walk yeah. with canes and stuff. And well, you know, um, for we... When I worked in funeral homes, the, the, we had a woman in San Diego who worked specifically with the Samoan community because Samoan men were are giants. It's huge. And yeah. they usually, a lot of them will have an early life due to heart issues. Yeah. Like, you know, 45 yeah. is your, you're talking. So she, her entire quote-unquote trade was with the S- Samoan community. I, I imagine you're having to deal with specialized coffins. Mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah, when you get someone... Yeah, 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 yeah. But the idea is that yeah, when you you see someone giant like that, it's 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 the same way as if you see someone diminutive. Right. But, there's, know, there's 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 a problem. Yeah. There can be problem. Um, I, I threw this next one on just because I felt like we should. Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah. Well, Ant Man was one of the the few Marvel movies that I that kind of fits the mold of a traditional Marvel movie yeah. that I kind of went, okay, I like it, because Paul Rudd's likable. He's funny, and... It's a... it's a, It, it could have been such a horrible... Yeah. You know, I still would have liked to have seen Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. Agreed. Um, but it was... I mean, it was cool. Um, uh, and this looks to be more of the same. I'm, I'm probably not going to... I, well, I, I, I know I'm not going to go see it in the theater. Um, and I... Everybody listening knows that I don't like comic book movies. I think I've gotten enough of Ant Man, but yeah. you know, I yeah, don't yeah. Know. this thing it looks it's smart because it seems like by linking him with the Wasp, yeah, she's there to go. No, really, we got to get going on the mission, right? As opposed to him sort of glumping his well, way and through his, his to the solution was kind of. Like he was a thief. Yeah, and he, like very he, erratic. He, yeah, very, yeah, 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 yeah. But I like, I do love the idea. Some of the stuff in this trailer, the running down the, the oh, running down the night blade. blade. Yeah, 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 yeah. All that stuff is very cool. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think this is a. Hey, it's on Netflix. Let's we'll watch it. Do you remember the DC version of Ant Man? Uh-huh. A, a guy that had basically the same powers. He could. He could shrink down, but he still carried the the weight and gravitas of of, of a guy like Which a normal makes size. No sense. Or no, it doesn't. <laughs> the atom. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, atom, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. he could like be like this little tiny like fly sized guy flipping through the air, and, and he'd land on your nose, and you're like, ah, you'd go flying back. So no physics. <laughs> uh, let's see. Up next, so I I couldn't decide on this one. What is it a documentary or is it a drama on MMA called The Cage Fighter about a guy who is a that's all it's kind of like the wrestler documentary in real life. what I was really what I was watching that and I go 
I I know one of the f- the fighters. Oh they're, really? They're going to have he's he's going to fight this guy that is in excellent physical shape. Used to train at Bellingham Mixed Martial Arts. Clayton Clayton Hoy is in this. Oh wow! Uh, it looks like maybe he's being set up as the bad guy. You know, or, well the guy that this this underdog has to mm-hmm. to fight. But so I'm excited. I, I want to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch. I'll, I'll, um, I was going to say all. all Documentaries on MMA, but I'm lying. <laughs> um, but this is one that I kind of go, huh? It, it, it just kind of felt like a new, like a real life wrestler. It reminds me of. Um, it, it, it seems to me like it has the same flavor as King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Oh wow! Where, where we're we're spotlighting this underdog guy who's gonna sure you know trying to. Kind of, he's he's uh, the, the 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 guy that they're spotlighting is too old really to be doing it and and ha- and isn't uh, yeah he's it was uh, cool it reminded me also of the what, what, uh, Smasher the Mark Coleman documentary yeah yeah that one's really sad but that is th- this looks yeah I agree it's it's interesting I, again not going to rush out to see it did you see Choke Choke is great yeah the the Gracie stuff yeah yeah that's really good. Um, next up, um, heredit- Hereditary, um, uh, with, uh, Emma Thompson, not Emma Thompson, uh, I forget her name. Anyway, uh, she's a miniature maker, very eccentric, her mother dies. Right. And it looks very surreal in ways, like it zooms in on a dollhouse and then that becomes a, the scene. I want to say this is an A24 yeah. picture. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And they, they, they seem to have the corner market on quirky. Quirky and weird. Yeah. This uh, looks very odd and disconcerting. Not so much a horror film, but more like this creepy space. The, yeah, the, uh, the idea is, well, first of all, I, I dig that, you know, they're doing a movie about a lady who does miniatures. Minia- <laughs> miniatures. Um, but uh, apparently her mother has some kind of issues and they are now manifesting themselves in her. She's her... Uh, uh, inherited mm-hmm. the, whatever this, this is. Kookiest. Yeah, I get that from the trailer. Like, mom died, and it's like her, her, this eccentric dealing with her death. Yeah, but her death has otherworldly connotations. Yeah, yeah. very odd. Um, I love. There's a great scene of her standing there, just sort of maybe ten feet apart from someone who's engulfed in flames. Yeah, and it's a cool image because it's not like look at the house burning. It's just that person. A lot there. of people. There's even I've even seen a couple articles. Uh, uh, you know where people are like, is this scary? Is this not scary? I think Heather posted something mm. about you know because some people are saying it's terrifying. It's like you know I. I'm in. I'll check it out. It also seems to be that it uses sound design a lot. Yeah. Where you're kind of, you see people looking around like, what's that noise? Mm-hmm. And, and so hopefully that'll be Suspenseful. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, Ted Kehogan, who did We Are Still Here, has a new movie out called Mohawk. Looks like colonialists run afoul of some Mohicans, and one of them is a woman who doesn't play yeah. <laughs> well with others. Uh... It reminds me of some other stuff um, that it's it, it, it's it's um I always applaud these types of films. I always like it when guys do stuff like a period film, and you can tell they don't have any money or mm-hmm. they don't have much money, you know. Right. And and this is definitely that. So if 
I think for the person who's looking for the big Hollywood razzle-dazzle... You, this you, isn't Last of the Mohicans. No, you're not going to like this. Yeah, yeah. But um, but if you liked, say, Bone Tomahawk mm. or something like that... Good call, um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. this will be right And she seems to be pretty badass, so I'm kind of in. Yeah. I, I, and I like and I liked, uh, I like this, this guy, this filmmaker's work. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're kind of in there. Next up, uh, something called Mute. Directed for Netflix by Duncan Jones, David Bowie's son, who did right. Moon. Moon, man. Yeah. This thing looks very Blade Runner, Altered Carbon, kind of That's new. That's right. That's right. I was trying to remember which one this was. Yeah. Um, yeah. He doesn't talk, and he's a bartender that is vi- super violent. and Right. Yeah. And I don't... But, man, I can't remember much of it. Other than I remember it looks like... Future noir. Mm-hmm. It look, you know. Yeah, I would throw it in a big basket with like Blade Runner, and I'd throw the Total Recalls in there. Yeah. I would throw. Have you seen Altered Carbon? No, I, I haven't either. I, I, everything I read says it's really pretty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then the other thing, this isn't on my list. Um, this is a sidebar on that. Is that like last night after the Super Bowl, uh, they were like, oh, and by the way, we're gonna Netflix is gonna release Cloverfield. Whatever it's called, Cloverfield Three, Cloverfield Four, uh, the Cloverfield three. Paradox. Paradox. So they released it, and everyone went, "Oh my God, this is the new paradigm!" And then now critics are coming out having seen it and going, "Like, well, of course they did that. This is uh, this is dog shit. Like, yeah. it's really bad." I so I, from what I understand, and and I haven't seen it, but from what I understand, people are like, "The paradox is is that." This has nothing to do with Cloverfield. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that matters is the ship is called Clover, uh, right. Cloverfield. So, there you go. I'm sure JJ's going to bring it all together <laughs> at some point for us. It's all going to make sense. It is. Uh, but Mute, I think, if you're into that sort of cyberpunk kind of sure. cyber noir, yeah. yeah, 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 then this is right down there. And Duncan Jones is solid. Yeah, Duncan Jones is so, best. Next up, speaking of Netflix, The Rain dystopian film some I'm guessing it sounds like excuse me it sounds like killer rain yeah that's what it looks like yeah yeah Yeah. the rain is killing people don't go out in the rain or whatever and it probably rains all the time Mm -hmm. so yeah 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 so I thought like will will they talk about things like the environment and you know oh we we did this to ourselves like matrix we scorched the sky and, and you know whatever else so you know probably this this one I kind of go this is a well. There's nothing else on, so yeah. yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it's good though. I don't mean to shit all over yeah, it. Yeah, there yeah. You go. This is the one. The next one is the one that that surprised me. Submergence. It's a spy survival story with James McAvoy and Alicia Vikander, who's the new Laura Croft. Right. Seems to be something about him being captured and being tortured, and this other life, this before yeah. time sort of helps him through it. Yeah, he's 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 uh, he's living I mean he's he's living in his head in the past in order to get through this this horrible mm-hmm. ordeal. It's it's uh there's uh, there's a love story there mm-hmm. between him and and uh Laura I can't Croft. remember was she uh, uh she was a photographer or something? Yeah, 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 something, something like, like that. that. And and it, I get the idea that he's not the person that they would really want. I don't think yeah. he's a spy or anything. I think he's oh, just, a, oh, I think just he, some. I think he's just some. Oh, guy. Okay, I didn't get that. Yeah. Here's the thing: why I I I think this this is important. Mm-hmm. 
And because they bury it in the trailer, they don't say anything. Right. This is directed by Wim Wenders. Yeah. And that is like, wait, what? Yeah. You know, this isn't. This is this is a, this doesn't feel like it should be a Wim Wenders yeah. movie. Yeah. But so it'd be interesting to see what what's happening there. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Uh, almost done. Next up, um, Unsane, Steven Soderbergh, horror about film about stalking that ends up where a woman gets committed and she starts seeing her stalker within the... Right. Like, like I don't right. belong here kind of a thing. Right, right, right. Um, again, I would... Didn't blow my doors off. No, but, um, and it I, I feel like I've seen something like it before. Yeah, you um, have. Um, and, uh, and, and, yes, what a terrifying, horrible situation to be in. Um... And again, like the first one we talked about, um, psychological thriller, what's real, what's not real, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not crazy, yeah. you're the one that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just heard on Gilbert show they were talking to Barbara something, I forget her name, but she's a great character actress, but she said at one point she went in, she was doing a, a film on Catatonia. This is back in like the 40s. Oh, wow. And she went in and said they made a deal that they were going to let her stay there so that she could observe, but they did, only the director of the hospital knew that she wasn't. Oh, so So when is. she walked up at the end, at some point she goes, I got what I need, I'm ready to go. The head nurse is like, I don't know, yeah, we got lots of people that are <laughs> that. And that in and of itself is a frightening thing. Sure. Where, where you know, the crazy people don't think, quote unquote, crazy people don't think they're crazy. So what happens when suddenly it becomes this weird, almost Kafka-esque thing that spins out of control? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the fact that it's Soderbergh makes it interesting, yeah. puts it on a lot of people's radar, but you know, so not every Soderbergh is a home run. Right. So, And then finally, a film, Spanish horror film called You Shall Not Sleep, about some filmmakers. This is a, t- a time-honored premise. A bunch of filmmakers go into an asylum with a history to make a film. Right. And it goes wacky. Yeah. Enter, like, if you ever saw Grave Encounters. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. Uh, again, horror films, what is it about horror films? Is it just that no one's trying anymore? Or the trailer just can't convey the... Uh, it's, it's it's like, it just doesn't make me go crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's us. Maybe horror is, like, kicking ass right now, and we're just... I know. I, I think that. I think that when I see these horror films coming in, and people are like, "Oh my!" For example, we we talked about it on a previous show. Oh my God, the witch! The witch is so scary. And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Right. I don't know. It's a different. What was the What was the uh, the article that came out, and then everybody like there was this huge backlash. The post horror was that, uh, <laughs> aka non scary horror. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, I, I don't know. I don't know. I I start to think it's me. Like, you know, I, nothing makes me go, oh. I get excited about documentaries on Andre the Giant. Right. But I see more <laughs> film and I go, I just don't give a shit about any of this. Well, I think it's just everything's been done. Yeah. That's why something like, um, something like Get Out, mm-hmm. while it's not what I normally go for because I like monsters. Yeah. Um, 
it's at least re- it, it was at least refreshing and different. It wasn't you know people yeah. weren't you know Jordan Peele wasn't doing the same old thing and and you know it and seems it like more in its mind than just well yeah exactly there. there's it's 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 a message from as well as uh, uh you know people argue about whether or not it's a horror film mm-hmm. well it seems pretty horrific to me you know yeah 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 hmm yeah I don't know I mean um I have hope periodically you'll see something and go hmm yeah give it the frown of approval <laughs> <laughs> yep you nod your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We'll see about that. <laughs> uh, moving on to recommendations. Anything you see lately? Uh, I'm reveling in not watching a, fi- a film every day. <laughs> but go ahead. Um, I had I had thought of something. <laughs> well, think about it. As I'll say this. On YouTube, I saw a great documentary called The Drummers of Frank Zappa. Uh-huh. It just sits down with like Ruth Underwood and Chester Thompson and all these like monsters and just talk, they talk. It's it's mostly the, it's an hour and a half of them talking about what is what a taskmaster uh, Zappa was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's there. It's up there for free. Also, I saw this 1940 movie that I kind of mentioned the other another show called You'll Find Out. 1940s. K. Kaiser, who was a um, big band leader of the time. He's cast as a band leader who gets booked in this gig at a spooky place, and the spooky place uh, is inhabited by Peter Lorre, Boris Karloff, and Bela Lugosi. Wow. And it's not, like, super scary. It's super lighthearted, and it's mostly there for the musical numbers. Right, right. But it's cool, and it's one of those things that you never hear even Lugosi and Karloff fans talk about. Yeah. So you were going to... Did you think of it? No. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I and I, I think I probably haven't watched anything because I've either been uh, sleeping, trying to sleep, or working. Yeah. Um, but I did, um, I did get something in the mail the other day that that made my nostalgic heart jump up and down. Um, back th- towards the end days of um, the ending ga- days or the final days of uh, Warren Publications, uh-huh. they they were trying different titles. And they came out with this, and I think this was probably an answer to heavy metal and how popular heavy metal was get, getting. They came out with this um, title called 1984, and it, it's a, 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 as they build it, adult fantasy um, like heavy metal magazine. Or, yeah, or like 2000 <clears throat> AD, like comics or yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, but it, I've it, never heard of this. Much like creepy and eerie, except all of the or most of the stories somehow center their sex is involved somehow. They're usually science fiction or they're or they could be horror. Um, but uh, uh, illustrated almost entirely by the Spanish um, comic artists. Wow. And so the the art is fantastic, um, and. Um, it's uh, it was it's really good. Now I didn't have very many of them. I had a couple, and I I, I found one the other day really cheap, and so I got it. Um, and it was really great uh, seeing it. For people who are looking for this, it's uh, Warren Publications, 1984 was the title, and then a year or two later it became 1994 for some reason hmm. I don't know. Um, 
it's got it's got Corbin in it. It's got Richard Corbin oh, in wow. it. Dude, uh, they they basically were serializing um, Mutant World. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think they were looking at heavy metal and seeing Den and go, hey, you got something else? And it was the only. Um, very rarely did uh, those magazines have color in them, and his stories were presented with color. In them. Sure, you gotta. Yeah, Corbin, you gotta. Yeah. Right? Wow, that's very cool. I had no idea about any of this. Yeah, it's it's really neat. Right on. Yeah. I found on uh, Kindle, I found a book called by S.K. Quinn called Indie Author Survival Guide. And it talks about, like, it's very good about talking about, like, how do you, like, what's Twitter? Like, how do you deal oh, with Twitter? Yeah. And, 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 for example, one of the pieces of advice they just gave was if you have ebooks, Always have one available for free. Give someone something for free so they can decide whether they like your writing style, and then they'll come and buy the other stuff. That kind of stuff, where it seems like, well, of course that's right, but you just see it in print, you go, oh no, that's (laughs) that's probably right. It's the the stuff that most of us are really bad at, you know, marketing. Agreed. How many times on the show we hear people go like, you know, I may be this, 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 and this, but yeah, I'm a terrible promoter of my own stuff. Because it's weird and it's awkward. and And you need someone... Or someone's there to be your advocate. I know why there's agents. And yeah. You know, why, Otherwise, why you're that just industry some <laughs> is even there. Yeah. yeah. Without that agent guy or without that manager, you're just some guy with an overblown ego yeah. that toiled in his. I mean, even rappers have hype men. You know, Flavor Flav. I need you know. a I need a hype man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I need. We we all need our own personal Flavor right? Flav. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. Uh, Boy. <laughs> uh, anything you are you have you heard anything? Anything good? What are you listening to? <laughs> I was like, wait, have I heard? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Jim Bob down the street. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, um, I, no, I, I mean, I, I, I listen to music all the time, but uh, but often it's I'm listening to the same... The stuff that you love. Stuff, and yeah. And, and I, like, I don't have... Um, the only time that I really hear uh, new music mm-hmm. is if... I run across a, a recommendation. So I, I came in here today, and you were playing something that sounds awesome, and I'm totally yeah. Voodoo organist, out. voodoo organist, man. Yeah, it was cool. I'm a fan already. <laughs> already, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's good. Um, but uh, uh, but no, I'm I'm saying just mostly I use this segment as an opportunity to go to to people, anyone who's listening, like, hey, this is what's in my head. Right, take a look at this. Yeah. So well, you know, you mentioned you know you mentioned things that that people may not have heard of. So, right. So today. I'm going to mention Voodoo Organist. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really, he's really great. It's got this super cool, almost like 50s kids horror show kind of vibe. Right. It may, it, re, it, uh, it, it, some of it reminds me of, what was the, 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 um, the, uh, the Indian guy who played the organ? Oh, he was, it was, uh, he was, he was kind of big and, and, um, uh, uh not Screaming Jay Hawkins. No, 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 no. Not, not, th- this guy didn't get played on people's radios. <laughs> oh, shit. no. no. This guy, um, he, he he wound up playing in Tim Burton's Ed Wood. He was the oh, organist wow. at the party. Oh, no. oh, wow, no. He was an old man by then. But yeah, right, 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 right. Gosh darn it, I can't remember. It's cool. But, but it reminds me of that. It's kind of kitschy, 
um, loungy, mm-hmm. tiki. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's all of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very, it's very cool. Uh, let's see. This I, on the other hand, do nothing but <laughs> <laughs> stuff, and some of it's not very good. Number one, don't ask me why. I listen to the Justin Timberlake, and it's terrible. Uh, let's see. My son-in-law. What? Back that up for a second. Is it terrible because you don't like that kind of music? No, no, no. He it's clearly him trying to reposition himself in the marketplace mm-hmm. as being like, oh yeah, I did that kid stuff, but here I am. This is my you know artist record, or this is my. I I, to, I I have to I have to be honest when when I heard the name of the of the album uh-huh. Man of the Woods yeah, um, and I think I saw a picture of Justin Timberlake wearing like flannel. flannel. There's or something. a song called Flannel. Oh, okay, <laughs> and so I thought. He's going to make a country album? That would have been smarter. Yeah. Because, because I've heard the cuts. Yeah. With, with, with what's his name, Chris Stapleton, the, the, the country guy that yeah, he's yeah, doing yeah, this yeah, with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's neither, in my opinion, it's neither, um, you know, it's like, I, I, it's neither country. Yeah. And it's not good pop. Yeah. And. Yeah. It just seems, it just seems like, this is the record you do kind of one-off, and you don't promote it. Like, he's promoting it heavy. He just did the Super Bowl yeah. to promote it. It's like, this is not a record. This is you finding your way kind of a record. It, it's okay. It's just nothing... Yeah, anyway. I think it was telling that at the Grammys, the best album mm-hmm. went to... There was something like Five Choices or something like yeah. that. And all of them were kind of more... Heavier, I, you know, they 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 had something to say. Mm-hmm. They were kind of message albums. Oh, dude! Um, and <laughs> the one they gave it to was the the album that was just a collection of fun pop songs oh, that that weren't connected yeah, in any speaking way. Speaking of uh, people with something to say, I just saw a piece off of last night's or a couple of nights ago. At this point, um, Fallon. Of him doing a Bob Dylan impression, yeah, doing the times they are changing, yeah, and it was pointedly political. Oh yeah, like really, like hardcore against the current administration. Yeah. It was like, wow, is this back? Is this kind of stuff back? Is this kind of protest stuff? And sure enough, I think it is. Um, my son-in-law turned me on to this band. I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but they're called. I'm gonna fuck this up for sure. Krangbim. K-H-R-U-A-N-G-B-I-M. They have a record called Contoto El Mundo. They're really good. Um, uh, not jazz, not rock, but very very chill kind of thing. Okay. Um, uh, Beth Hart, Joe Bonamassa have a record out called Black Coffee, and it's what you'd expect. Hardcore blues and, yeah. and what have you. It just came out. Just came out. These are all in the last couple came of years. Out Friday. Uh, the guy who did the Ramin Jawadi, who did the score to Game of Thrones and Pacific Rim, has a record called Britannia. It's an Amazon th- series. Um, and Rogue Banos has a score to The Commuter, the new Liam Neeson movie. Uh-huh. I don't know anything about the movie, but the score is really good. I bet. Uh, I bet he's gonna be. Uh, fighting somebody in it. Yeah, the idea is that he gets on a train... To the movie, he gets on a train, Vera Farmiga is there, and essentially says, "You're g- if you don't kill somebody on this train, we're going to do... Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Uh, and then finally, uh, as far as music goes, my pick of the week kind of thing is Chick Corea and Steve Gadd Band has a record called Chinese Butterfly. 
it's noodly. It's Chick Curry, a Return to Forever, Steve Gadd sure. kind of thing. But man, it's good to hear that stuff again, kind yeah. of like seventies fusion. And then finally, in comedy records, I want to recommend Jeff Bodart, Adorable and Affordable, John Heffron, The Laws, The I'm sorry, The Laughs You Deserve. And a woman named Monique Marvez, who's hilarious. She has a record called Young Comedians. Big fan of that lady. Um, cool. Because I do nothing but sit up in this room and <laughs> <laughs> listen to records and write stupid <laughs> books. So, uh, we're, got, we're good. Next yeah. week... Ooh, next week, I, I've already confirmed, we've got author Nancy Kilpatrick coming on. Nay. To talk about vampire novels. Very cool. Vampire literature, goth. Yeah, uh, and and hopefully try to, how to get how to get noticed, how to get your stuff out there. Nancy's yeah. been um, a major fixture in the in the genre for a long time. Yeah, and I'm very very stoked. So we're good. Um, thanks again to Ken Meyer. That was fun. Yeah, that was awesome. All right, we'll see you next week, guys, for the Bonus Material Podcast. I'm Tom Carno, and I'm Langley West. Stay scary.